Whereas if you're going to sit there and go through sounds, go through sounds, go through sounds, you know, try this, try that, you know, sound packs and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you might, uh, you might not come up with something as, as um, creative had you only had that one thing going on. Um, and I think, uh, you know, synthesizers do it. Um, you know, they, they, they do it. They give you the opportunity to, to, you know, to layer things and, and make things wide and fat and put things where they need to be. So, um, so that you don't have to use seven things doing the same thing. You don't have to, if you, if you get the sounds right. So simplicity is what makes me really proud of that album more than anything else is the simplicity of it. And the fact that I believe it, it remained true. It stayed true to the, to the various genres that were being injected in, 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 into that vibe. I'm enjoying this talk, man. I'm really enjoying this talk. Here's the thing, brother. We talk about this all the time in the early days. Some of the greatest four track, four track, not eight, not 24, 48, four yeah. track demos were killer. Trust me. Simple is the way to go sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As they used to say, it was the kiss method. Okay. Keep it simple, stupid. It's so true. Because if you yeah. overdo it, you lose yeah. the whole vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what track kills me? What what uh, you've just reminded me of? The ill out. Kenny dopes the ill out. That is, I think, a perfect example of what you just said. You know, that sort of breakbeaty fat thing the kicks just in your face and it's just nice does its thing it's simple you know the baseline is great simple um but it's uh it does the job you know um but anyway uh getting back to what um i was attempting to talk about my my sort of journey so i'm on danny d at the moment danny d uh he gave me my first job as a producer and that sort of lit the, lit, the, lit the spark in my head. That lit the spark in my head um, and made me sort of think, okay, I could do this like uh, in the days before, uh, in those days you had to sort of choose to be something, right? And you had to pick one. It was like, pick one. What are you going to be, singer? You're going to be an MC. You're going to be a DJ. Pick one. And you had to pick one. And one of the things I love about modern times uh, music is that this is, this is the age of the entrepreneurial musician. This is the age of someone who can do everything without anything being frowned upon. But I came up at a time when if you were into hip hop and you did house, that was frowned upon by certain people. And when you're young and impressionable and you actually think that other people's opinions matter. Uh, that kind of stuff affects you when you're young. Um, but, uh, you know, I maintain that when, you know, when, when, when hip house was young and, and we were doing what we were doing and, um, certain experiments were being, were being made by, uh, Q-tip, um, with, with, you know, with delight and, um, you know, uh, the Jungle Brothers, Kenny Dope, and all of these things where hip-hop and house were flirting with each other, 
and, and we come from that era. I'm very proud to come from that era. Danny was uh, an integral part of that. Later on down the line, um, once, uh, you know, I had worked with, um, with Yo Bogard and, and, uh, and, Man- and Yakid K, once I, Manuela, once I'd worked with those people and we were like, you know, oh, you know, Pump Up the Jam took everyone by surprise and, and, it, and it became a hit so quickly. It was released originally as an instrumental and then it got some traction as an instrumental and then it, it went out there as a, as a single and such was the, such was the, um, the, the speed of, of Pump Up the Jam's, uh, you know, success was that an album needed to be put together quite quickly um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was done quickly and still managed to keep the integrity, I guess. Uh, and there's always that thing, right? When you release a tune that does well, the public and the press, they kind of have that question in the back of their minds. Can they do it again? Can they do it again? And then get up dropped and did what it had to do. You know, the sound, um, started to become a formula which may or may not have been a good thing i don't know but it seemed to work at the time and um you know by the time that had happened i was then thinking right what am i going to do next what am i going to do next um i wanted to do something i always wanted to challenge myself and try and be as uh you know challenged as possible because I get bored quite quickly. So I, um, I, you know, experimented with different things. I went back to doing what, you know, Danny had always encouraged me to do. And and I started writing and producing for other people as well as myself. Um, and, uh, and that was the sort of, that was the beginning of the relationship that I, I had, I've had with the music industry ever since, to be honest. Yeah. So on that note, this is another thing I want to know. You know, you're getting into this whole thing about the musical side of it. Did you have any formal musical training in any um, instrument, or you just went in with the vibe of just no. doing it from ear? No, I had a, I had a. When I formal, no, no, not formal. Um, you know, I I learned formal things. Um, uh, on the on on the you know on the hop. So as and when I needed to learn something, I learned something. Um, you know, the first person to try and teach me how to play guitar was my el- eldest brother Christopher, and uh, you know we had a you know a bit of a bit of a sort of a an estranged relationship um, when I was a kid. So uh, you know, even though he was probably coming from a good place, I didn't really want to pick it up. Um, but you know, I, I, I went back to it, you know, I went, I went back to it and that made me, um, you know, going back to the guitar made me, forced me, if you like, to have to learn certain things, right? Because if you're jamming with a band, you need to know a little bit about keys and you need to know a little bit about, you know, modes and, you know, you know, so I, I, um, I kind of got into it as I went, like, what do I need? You know, what do I need to learn about? What do I need to know about a minor? What can I do with it? You know, what are the, what are the parallel cause? What can I get away with? What kind of kind of learned that as I went, but no formal training. No, no, just, uh, um, yeah, just, just freestyle it. 
that's why I asked the question. Because when you listen to the sounds of that era, yeah, it doesn't sound like the predecessor music that was well written in the sense of you know scored out yeah. in a technical way, like the 70s were. You listen yeah. to stuff that was late 80s into the 90s was very basic, very low-end heavy. The bass lines were were uh synthy sounding, droney, yeah. rolling, pushing. That was the thing that that fed the machine, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Drug yeah. culture of the nightclub scene. Yeah. It worked. One worked with the other. The darker the sound, the better it worked. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And 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 I think I think music needed that. You know, there's no question that the musicians who came before us were insanely talented almost you know godlike talent people like you know if you go back really far and you start thinking of people who people like Duke Ellington who had they been had they been alive 200 years earlier would have been spoken their name would be alongside Mozart and whatnot and you just see the talent of these guys and how they were doing what they were doing and it's pretty insane and um but when our time came around uh remember you know we were at the forefront of sample culture and sample culture is by definition theft right and it, it's creative theft no it's <laughs> no it's creative process it's creative it's creative but it's creative theft so and this is what makes it so amazing and you know you're not thinking you might have maybe if you're in a studio for a few months, you might come across one guy who understands bass in the left hand, arpeggio or chords in the right hand. You know, you might come across. Yeah, but wait, one but wait, wait, wait. Let me explain to everybody. This is what happens when you do something super cool. Look at the crowd that comes for you now. You get me, people. You know, your life changes, and you say this is not so bad. Uh, I'll pay the guy for the sample or whatever. <laughs> you know what? Because then I can actually not be broke no more. Ma, look, I have no cavities no more. I fixed my teeth. I look good. I'm living large. You know what I mean? Seriously, okay, so let's be real. There's yeah. nothing better than yeah. as you, as proficiently working at a job where they said you couldn't make money at because it's impossible. Yeah. And not only that, to actually cross over and gain stardom without even having to put all the other parts to doing that. Like, for example, no acting skills needed, no dancing lessons needed, yeah, yeah, no yeah. musical lessons needed. Yes, you have a good ear, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You must have talent. You're not formally trained. That's cool too. Yeah, but yeah. once again, it maybe when you're not really talented, you get lucky. Yeah. But yeah. the luck does run out after a while. You can't keep coming back with another single, another single, another single. So you have to have yeah. talent if it means, hey, I'll learn the computer side of it. I'll learn the SP1200. I'll learn all these pieces of gear. If that's what makes you the talent, that you become more of the engineer producer yeah. that knows street lingo and knows the street sounds, then that's a dangerous combo, brother. Is that what you did? Is that what happened? 
Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, you go. you're a danger to society now. Yeah, no, it's good. But, you know, at a time when, um, at a time when it was, again, it was that thing of, you know, pick one. What, what are you? You know, pick one. And, you know, there are, um, there were guys who were incredibly good DJs who, you know, I used to look at and, and just think, man, how would I, how will I ever become as good as that? You know? And there were guys who were incredible musicians I would look at and think, whatever. I realized, though, that I didn't have to be a maestro at anything. I could be proficient at all of it and make tunes or at least attempt to make tunes and collaborate. You know, collaborating was amazing as well. I mean, that's been something that I've always cherished is like-minded musicians in, 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 in to be with them in a room and see what we come up with. And, um, you know, just sort of talk through your history, through my history and, and, and see what was going on. When I <clears throat> sort of uh, was going through, you know, when the, when the Technotronic album was being made um, and, you know, around that period and beyond, um, you know, I was listening to, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of uh, sort of, you know, rare groove soul um, you know, hip hop, hip hop. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of DJs who played house, a lot of the DJs that I listened to were not just playing house. You know, you, it wasn't that easy to find a DJ who just played house because in those days, DJs were ambidextrous with it. They, they would, they would move over to rare groove. They would move over to, you know, you had the soul thing going on. You had, you had various things going on. And, 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 and some, someone playing, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, a track like Big Fun was, was likely to play something afterwards by Cool and the Gang. That's just the way it was. You know, that's, that's just the way it was. It should um, be said, there just wasn't enough music yet that was strong enough to pass right. to that commercial, more that commercialish crowd, not that's the right. underground crowd that would dance to everything. But yeah. That, it just did, just wasn't enough supporting stuff in that time. It was still inf quietly working behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, th like three of my favorite DJs in London at the time were uh, a guy called Femi Fem. Um, and uh, Femi was incredible. I used to watch him down at uh, Subterranea, and he was he was incredible. I don't think he knew I was watching him so closely. DJs don't like that. And uh, <laughs> another guy called Eon, Eon Irvin, uh, used to used to do uh, he used to do a weekend over at uh, the Limelight, um, the Wag Club, uh, and I used to sort of follow him around sometimes, help him carry his record boxes. I just really wanted to watch what he was doing. I used to just be there, almost like a groupie of his. Um, and uh, Matt White, you know, friend of mine, um, who is like you know just incredible DJ, ambidextrous, completely across so many genres, can just it's just so good. And those guys were feeding my soul without even realizing that they were doing it. You know, I would go to these various clubs and I would, you know, whatever, the, you know, 10 rooms complex, I'd go to these various clubs and watch these guys do their thing. And, uh, those, those ideas that what you, what you just touched down on, but that, that there wasn't enough house, there simply wasn't enough house music to go around in those days. What those DJs were doing, and you're one of them, the ability to look into a crowd, read the room, and 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 play accordingly, is what 
probably prompted uh, the need for, for, for more songs of a particular style of this or a particular style of that. I'm beginning to sound or feel like a bit like David Attenborough right now. I feel like I'm talking about evolution, but no, but it's true. You have to no, but you people have to understand where this is all coming from. You know, yeah. you step in today, you see it so differently. But at that time, yeah. when dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> and we were discovering awesome. fire and oil, and <laughs> thinking that we can actually cook now with fire, this is great. It was the same thing with house music. It was, yeah. it was early. Even though Chicago was doing it, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a lot of those records that were cutting through, and yeah. you know, it was only a few. And especially, what changes the game, which I'm waiting for him to say, is when a record that he's involved in crosses yeah. to that little thing, yeah, called the transistor radio. Man, I, I tell you, I mean, you know, take us the, there, brother. Take us there. The, the. Uh, you know, it's very um, it's very strange for me, almost surreal, to think about. It's a blessing and a curse, right? The 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 success of of, of my band is it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, a blessing because uh, for obvious reasons, because the music was able to go out there to so many people, and we were able to tour the world a few times and and, and do so many really cool things on that side. It was also a curse because um, you know you you tend to be sort of pigeonholed into oh that's the guy uh you know connected to this situation and that's it you know um and and this, so there's that there's this that situation and there's also the misconception that you are one one thing people tend to think that you're one thing and that's one of the things that i regret about being the only thing i regret about being born when we were born is that we were not afforded the that, that sort of easy route to being multifaceted in our prime, um, and, and and that's and that's an issue. I look at um, you know I look at people I look at careers I I, I look at careers now uh, almost like um, in comparison, records don't sell like they used to. Records aren't selling for the same amount of money as they used to. Um, you know, if you do the mathematics on 14 and a half million albums at 13.99, 14.99 pounds each, 15 quid, I mean, that's crazy money. You know, that kind of money isn't being made now by anybody um, who is selling any amount of tunes, be it, you know, a thousand or a hundred thousand, just not happening. And um, like, you know, I put a tune out recently and I, I was happy that I had a hundred thousand streams on, on Spotify, but only because I know a hundred thousand people listen to it, not because I think I'm going to get paid because I know I ain't going to get paid. So, you know, the landscape's changed and everyone has had to become a bit more um, creative. So I look at, I look at uh, entrepreneurial people. Um, and it's not to say I, I'm looking at them in any particular way. I just like, I'm just fascinated by, the the business model which came which trickled down from you know the cleverness of Barry Gordy through 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 the through the Leo Cohens the Russell Simmons the Rick Rubens and now it's come and and it's, and it's gone into the you know the Simon Dunmores and it's gone to the it's gone to the um to the to the uh, what's his name uh, Mark Knight and, and those types of guys and it's just like this this business model which has continued to evolve 
and, and, and allow someone to spin the odd tune when they're ready, do the odd gig when they're ready, maybe, uh, you know, run a label, do a few bits and pieces, have a radio show, have a radio station, you know, the restrictions are gone. The restrictions are gone, you know? Um, and one person can do it all now, uh, which is amazing, which is amazing. The only downside to that is that we, we all run the risk of forgetting that this is music and not business. And we, we're running that risk because when you bring a business acumen, when you bring that into the studio, you've lost. You've already lost. You may as well go home. You may as well go home. Go home and go home and, you know, have a beer. Shut the studio down. Yeah. So, so you know, it really is uh, a case of being able to literally take one hat off and put on another one and forget that you had the other one on. But I let's know. but let's understand this now. Going from mediocrity to world level success with a number one record around the world, and including in sync deals and movies. How does that change you? How does that change everybody involved? I mean, what what was the landscape for all of you? You know what it does, man. It changes the people around you. It changes the people around you, and. The people around you are so affected by what's going on. And it's it's toxic, man. It's toxic. And it and it and it ruins lives. But you know, you have to make you have to try and and, and wait, 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 brother. Let's you're telling it from a doctor. You sound too philosophical. Let's get in the let's get in your life at that time. Let's go in the pit. So you guys go from anonymity, you know, not really. I shouldn't say that. Let's just say club side. People know who you are. You're doing your record to all of a sudden you're now having a record at the level of a Rihanna, a Madonna. Yeah. That level instantaneous. Yeah. Do you all go running by Bentley's? What the hell happened? You know, like, what did you do? Come on, share the love. Forget about the darkness for now. We'll get to that in a minute. But tell us how life changes. Did you build a, a complex? Did you go to Hawaii? What the hell happened? Now, that well, it was, it was it was different for for, for all of us. Um, you know, um, it, my personal experience was, I mean, I, can, I come from a really large family. So my thing was to do right by my family, to do right by my, my mother you know, that was the, the biggest thing for me. Um, the first royalty check I ever got, um, I slid it back across the table and said, look, there's something, you know, you need to put my mother's name on this because I knew there'd be another one. Do you know what I mean? Um, you, you, you go through, uh, you know, money plus youth equals mayhem. So I done some crazy stuff. You know, I remember, I remember I, um, I'm, <laughs> I'll tell you one story and this is, and please don't, you know, I don't want anyone to judge me f- by, by this because this was just a, a very we young. We already are judging you. We think you're wonderful. Now get on with it. Come this, on was a very, this was a very young version of me um, who, you know, money, if money isn't an object, 
then you don't think of it, uh, you know, when you, like you do when you don't have it. So, so I went into a, I remember once I was in Wales and I went into a, I went down a road that had a Porsche dealership on one side of the road and directly opposite it was a Mercedes dealership. And I went into the Porsche dealership to look at a car, right? And uh, the guy was like, <laughs> this guy approached me and was like, yeah, um, what are you doing here? And he completely treated me like I was some riffraff off the street that was just wasting his time. And I got so upset with him that I said to him, okay, man, look, you're pissing me off. I want you to stand by this window and watch me buy a Mercedes across the street. And I just went across the street and bought one. I didn't even want it. You know, but I just thought I'd buy it because he pissed me off. And you do things like that when you, when you, when you're sort of doing that well, and then you go through a year or two of that. And then your accountant phones you and says to you, Hey, you need to calm the hell down or whatever. And you, you know, you learn a few, uh, a few things the hard way, but you know, in, in amongst all of that, there's the incredible stuff, like uh, the amount of time that we spent um, on various scenes in the States, how we were able to come over there and make, uh, you know, business friendships and business relationships that we, that survived to this day, the incredible, um, you know, musicians that we, that we worked with, uh, you know, um, oh my God, I need to shout a few of these guys out. DJ Twin, DJ Twin, these, these guys, these twins were incredible. They were the, uh, they were the, um, the brothers of uh, DJ Scratch. And, uh, you know, that whole crew, that whole Red Man crew, that's incredible crew, you know, just big shouts to them. Um, you know, Mark Quest, um, you know, just, just so many of these guys that I hadn't even known you know, until I got there and I met them. And now it's like, I can't imagine not ever having known them because it's family, man. You know, we, 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 we conquered the, the U S together because making an album is one thing, but it's only one thing when it comes to house music, everybody knows now that the most important part of house music is the live experience, the live experience. And yes, it's important to make tunes, but it's also important to bring those tunes to the people correctly. And when we came to um, the States, uh, literally, you know, four of us came to the States and then we ended up as a sort of a group of maybe 10. And, um, and that's how we ended up doing so well. And that's how we smashed the Madonna tour. And that's how we smashed, you know, all the various bits and pieces that we did out there. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, big, big, big respect to, to to that. And I think the the first time you you sat in a movie theater and you hear a song, you know, it's it, it. I love firsts. I love you know the first time that's ever happened. I love the first time I was ever played on a certain radio station, or first time I was on, you know, uh, you know, BBC One or whatever. You know, I, I love the experiences of things happening for the first time. Um, but once they've happened, I think it's important to put it into the basket and put it into the perspective that it belongs in. Because if you don't, um, if you don't do that, 
And if you don't, you know, if you if you're gassed and if you're thinking about if you if you if you believe in the hype, um, it, it all goes wrong. Right? And let me ask you this question, because I could talk from my own, and I'll I could share this with you. I remember when I first got to England and I played my first gigs, I felt that I made it. How the hell did you feel when you stepped on the American shores? Come on, dude. Coming from Hyde Park, you must have been saying, I don't believe this, that we're actually going to America yeah, to yeah. do this. Come on, because we were saying the same thing. Yeah. I don't believe I'm coming to the UK to come yeah. and DJ. Yeah, yeah, no, it was crazy, man. I mean, it was, you know, it was insane. And 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 when we came in, we came in like, you know, we were we were in the chart already. You know, we didn't come in and try and work our way through. We 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 were already, you know, we'd already smashed it in the Europe. You know, we we came in um on a red carpet, so to speak. So um it was insane for me because you know, we were being managed by rush management. So, you know, it was the moment we hit the U the US shores with, with Trenton, we were, you know, Russell, Leo. You know that was our that was our little band of, of, was, of uh, was Danny Glass head of SBK at that time? Daniel Glass was yeah, it? actually, actually, um, I believe remember this. Oh my god! Yeah, the the SBK situation, right? There's um, there were three of them. Yeah, there were three of them, uh, and uh, I think um, yeah, Danny was 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 definitely involved. And we we had um, a little crew of you know of people that we sort of moved with for a couple of years, maybe maybe three years, all told that we moved with. And um, at the head of that situation was Leo Leo Coin was at the head of that situation. Don't forget, Leo Coin was a big hip hop guy. People, he helped yeah, make, yeah. shape hip hop in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting them could thank their careers from that man oh for sure for oh sure oh my man. god see don't you're mentioning names to uk people who are watching this show these names he's mentioning you want to talk about a round table of powerhouse that moved the chessboard and they said this record's going to be a hit and this record's going to be a hit it was like that what he was saying and he was part of it in that chessboard his was one of those pawns in the board yeah, that record he worked on was one of those that went to become a crossover. As long, along not too far after Crystal Waters with Gypsy Woman, and, and all that stuff started to to really become what we then oh, yeah. later house yeah. music. But they, we didn't call they didn't call those records what he worked on house music. Yeah. They called it a pop record, and he must have been like, "What do you mean?" I bet he must have been saying. It's not a pop record because that's what I thought the same thing. But yeah. when you categorize pop music, if you look it up and I want you all to take the time and do that. If you go and look at popular music, basically what pop stands for is, is whatever is popular at the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If it's a house record, or ballet record, if it's a classical country, if it yeah. falls in that main chart, you got a pop record. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, you know, when I, uh, when I, when we got there, I think it was myself, um, Trenton Harrison, Michelle Duverney, um, Paulette, there was like, 
us a lot from the UK. And when we got there, you know, it was quite often we, I'd just walk into Rush Management and I'd sit there having a coffee and, you know, Hank Shockley would be sat there and, you know, Rakim would be sat there and you're just having conversations with these people. Like, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, you, need, uh, you know, I hope I'm playing it cool because I, I idolize this guy. I hope I'm playing it cool. And you're sat there, right, having listened to, to Hank Shockley's work, like, you know, two, three years, four years previously. You sat there having a conversation with him, trying to act cool. And, and uh, you know, that was a seriously powerful stable. You know, there was no question that it was the strongest stable around. And again, you mentioned, you know, Puffy, who came through in the early 90s afterwards. Um, you're talking about Leo Cohen. Leo Cohen was the guy who gave uh, Jay-Z his first job at Def Jam. So you're talking about a guy who really is was the puppet master of hip hop for quite a long time, and oh yeah, him, Benny Medina, Andre Harrell. I mean that list. I remember that powerhouse. That was yeah. a crazy time and and crazy money rolling around. Yeah, those- yeah, incredible, incredible. And um, you know when I uh, yeah, but I mean creatively speaking, my. My, uh, my, 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 my musical side, my, my, my heart was telling me that I'm glad to be a part of Rush Management um, because of its affiliation to Rick Rubin. Because Rick Rubin, to me, was, my, was one of my heroes. You know, I loved, the, you know, not only did everything he did, I loved. And I, there was a time when I just kept finding out he'd done things that I loved. You know, I remember thinking that the first thing he'd ever done was the Beastie Boys. And then I realized, well, hang on a minute, I was found out then, you know, a year later or that he'd done Tiller Rock stuff. And Tiller Rock stuff was, you know, incredible back in the day, uh, which I'm sure you can remember. It's yours, um, you know, uh, an anthem, uh, uh, you know, a damn, you know, a U.S. anthem. And um, this is the guy that was able to do that. And then, you know, when you think that Def Jam was actually his before Russell, you know, this isn't a joke. Like, this guy was insane. And uh, it, it freaks me out that, it freaks me out that the, that, you know, this this sort of generation doesn't really know much about him. But that's another story. But, you know, he's he, he was incredible. And to be affiliated with him and Leo uh, was, was, was incredible. And they were seriously influential. Um, and uh, so there were two, there, there were two sides to, to my story. One, one side is the sort of the climb and the other side is, is the mayhem and, and the mayhem is what I call, and I mean mayhem in a good way. I don't mean it in a bad way. You know, the mayhem of, um, of, 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 of the unexpected success of an album, which, uh, nobody, and I don't care who, who, who tries to say otherwise, nobody knew was coming. And, it took everyone by surprise. And when it did come, some people handled it one way. Some people handled it another. Um, I like to think that, uh, you know, I, I got through it. And, and, and now um, I'm a lot more at peace and a lot prouder with, you know, what we did um, than I was, say, 15 years ago or, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, as time has gone on, I've become a lot happier 
with 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 uh with with the involvement and uh yeah that was a process okay so now the process comes to my question mm -hmm. the singer the woman we hear that voice yeah tell us her name of course i'll let you tell us yeah give us a a, a synopsis of her background how she comes to work with you guys yeah and where your life goes from there right so uh the the vocalist uh, uh pump up the jam is uh is manuela camosi um uh, otherwise known as yakit k she is in my opinion um it's very controversial but she to me she is the best the best vocalist but mc to ever do it on on a house record um but that's just me that's 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 my opinion probably biased um, she is from Zaire, originally from Zaire, Central Central Africa, um, and uh, she ended up in Belgium because her mother is Belgian, and she ended up in Belgium, and um, and uh, yeah, we we sort of um, you know we we our story sort of begins you know starts there, um, but before she, before she met me. Um, she had, she had run away to, to Chicago. The thing, the thing with the thing that, you know, again, to, to, to put out there about Belgium in those days was that Belgium wasn't yet quite ready for people of color. So when you had people of color in a place like Belgium in those days, it wasn't easy for them. Um, which, you know, we don't really need to go into. It's obvious, it's obvious why she didn't like it. Uh, she had, she had lived her childhood in Africa. So she was, you know, she hadn't come from a background where color mattered. And she ended up um, running away. Where did she go? She came to Chicago. And, uh, and that was where she, you know, really, really, uh, you know, probably honed her skills and fell in love with house. Um, you know, her story is incredible because uh the combination of uh you know chicago and being um you know an african woman or a young woman um was you know a massive 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 part of uh what was going on um with her vocally and 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 no one was no one was flowing like that you know, um, because it was unique. And honestly, I always used to say, like, when Manuela penned something and when she got on the mic, you could hear the money. <laughs> you know, it was one of them things where it doesn't matter, you know, you... You go, we got something here. We got a golden got nugget. Mic, you could hear the money. Golden and, nugget, uh, baby. Golden nuggets. We got a golden nugget right here. There's another gold. You just knew yeah. it. It's true. Go for gold. Go the money, man. And um, you know, you know, we uh, obviously, you know, band members, um, you know, and uh, also, you know, family. We have a son. We have a thirty-year-old son, Eric Junior, who's um doing his thing. And uh, yeah, you know, we we you know, Technotronic is technically, you know, it's literally a family. You know, it's it's literally a family. It's not. Oh, so um, you wound up you wound up getting together with her. 
too. Oh yeah, we have a thirty-year-old son. Yeah, we we, we marry we, her, or did you just stay partners? Uh, oh no, we we weren't like married as in a marriage ceremony, but we were practically married. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, you know that uh, that thing that happens when two young people are creative, and um, you know, you you have that fear that comes with being a teenager because we were teenagers when we met and you know you have that fear of being a teenager and you find comfort in each other's company for that reason because you understand me and I understand you and neither one of us understands them so it's 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 that sort of a thing it's very beautiful it's a very beautiful thing um but not um, the easiest of relationships to, to, to maintain when you're making that much money and there are that many cooks in the kitchen, uh, that much older than you making decisions and all the rest of it. But that's, um, that's not house music. That's, that's, that's music industry nonsense. And that's what makes people either stay in it yeah. or they go, I can't deal with this and I'm out. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the other thing is, which I know you heard, is that when you have that one winning formula, yeah, now they want you to repeat it. Oh my god! Times over. Come on, bring us, bring us another record like that, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah. You're like, you can't because it's just something that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's the thing. That's one of the good things, you know, about about this album is that you know especially, you know, Yo Bogard, who is like our, um, you know, he's like the father of Technotronic, right? He He's the guy that, you know, he's the glue that bound, bound everything together. And, you know, he wasn't having that. He wasn't having that. Wait a minute. I'm sorry, Eric. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Did you say Neil Bogart? No, Yo Joe Bogart. Oh, I'm sorry, because I thought you meant Neil Bogart from Casablanca. Yeah, yeah. I was but like, we wow. It, we pronounced the J like a Y. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and, and he was adamant that, um, that, you know, it would not be a simple case of this song sounding like this song, sounding like this song, sounding like this song. And that was a, that was a, you know, one thing that I really respect, um, is that, you know, that was not going to be happening, um, any, any, anytime, anytime soon. Um, the, but the, again, the pressure comes from people when it becomes a business, and and the pressure comes in and 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 uh, and and changes everything. And it's enviable when when you see people like uh, my personal one of my personal house production heroes, Todd Terry. You see people like Todd Terry bouncing from one job to the next, and you think it's nice to bounce from one job to the next, but I can't do it. Because, you know, I'm in a band and we have to be the band and boom, boom, boom. So what happens is the band has to be, the band has to adopt that mentality uh, to survive or to stay fresh. Or like so many huge bands from back in the day, you can just take massive breaks. And every three years release an album and have a massive press run. And, but, and, and but are that. you guns and wait a minute, but brother, are you guns and roses or Metallica? I mean, are you at that level where 
you could take three years off and come back with a new campaign. No, but this is this is this is it. This is what this is what people were were doing back then. You know, people were were um, they were they were taking long breaks or they were um, trying to be as as creative as as they possibly could. Right, the, the, those were the two choices. Um, and I think in that way, having you know being being a producer um, who who's not ghostwriting. Um, and who, who is, uh, you know, able to pick and choose what remixes they're doing or pick and choose what productions they're doing, um, is, is it, that was the winner. That was, that was the way forward for sure. I'm loving this chat, bro. Like seriously, I'm loving this chat, man. You, you and I need to be doing this when you come over next. <laughs> Let's get a little deeper now. Because we're at that time. Okay. All good things, as I always say, come moments and grandeur is there and children are born. Band members start to have different ideas. Yeah. And the demise begins. Right. As much as you hate for me to ask, where does that take us into this journey of Technotronic and yourself? Because, you know, look, everybody. You're trying to get me killed. Yo, look, they're doing, you know, they're doing heavy stuff. I mean, come on. It's not like they're not, you know, they're selling out arenas. Yeah, you, you, you're you, trying to get me killed, man. Um, well, let's well, not we, say killed. You're going to have to say what you want us to know, basically. No, no, no. The, 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 I'm joking. Um, obviously. <clears throat> everything you know, ends, you know, even as good as the bands are. Come on, the... the, the yeah. The Beatles ended because of John and Yoko and Paul. Things happen. No, listen, it's all good. Imagine if we had kept going in our in our original format and 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 had a dismal failing. You know, imagine that. You know, um, it it it's it's one of those ones where you got the first album and you got the people who made the first album, and that's in that's in stone. That's in stone, and and it's and it's an honor and a privilege to have been a part of it. Um, obviously, moving forward, um, my personal, my own personal, um, you know, d- desire to, to 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 leave came from wanting to be, you know, wanting to do other things. You know, it came from wanting to do other things and wanting to see what I could do. As as a person, what 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 could I what could I do? What could I come up with? Um, it wasn't to say that I wanted to necessarily leave that situation for another. It was a case of can I do both? Can I do both? Um, and also, you know, the general consensus was that new artists needed to be brought in to bring to breathe and you know some new life into the into the brand and you know we never thought of ourselves as a brand to begin with we thought of ourselves as a band so you know to to to, to be to be faced with the 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 realization that you're becoming a brand uh was quite um shocking uh not as shocking as 
it seemed at the time because you got to this was the this was the 90s this was the early 90s this was 1990 91 when exploitation was at a record high i mean just for the people listening uh, to put it into perspective black box had the audacity to take uh, lolita holloway to court because she didn't like the fact that they'd used her voice without paying her this was the idea it was like hey i can use your vocals and not pay you right that that was the mentality of people in those days because again going back to the conversation we, we you know the stuff we talked about earlier with 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 those amazing lawyers that were going in there trying to make things different the reason why they were trying to make things different was because the the injustices were so big I mean, can you imagine using someone's vocals, not re-singing them, using the vocals, and then having a problem paying them? When their vocal is the hook of the tune? I mean, the the disrespect is cavernous, you know. And they, they weren't the only ones. Martha no, at the same they time, the sweat. Going to make you sweat was in that same situation. She went nuts. Listen, a lot of that was going on. That was the era of the piss take, as we say in the UK. Yeah, that was the era of the piss take, and um, it was so bad. And so you know, to suddenly be told that we, our brand, and you know, we are not valued um or at least to feel that way uh wasn't cool and i and i guess you know on our you know on our part we were kind of we were paranoid anyway because when you're hearing these stories about things like like the black box situation you're thinking well what's to stop that happening to me what's to stop anything happening to me you know um I didn't get invited. Look, I came through the door um, at the risk of sounding like Rakim. I came through the door and I don't remember buying a ticket, a front row ticket to the circus. I don't remember buying one. So I ain't, I ain't, a part, I don't want to be a part of this because this is, this is clown, this is clownery. So, um, you know, but let's be understanding of this now. Just realize something. The major label companies were the culprits behind that. Indeed. They did not want to pay no one. Indeed. Indeed. And yeah. Yeah. And, and they had got branched not to. That. Don't forget that. And they have a war chest to fight with endless coins in that war chest. It's just, it's just sad, man. I mean, you know, it's just sad. Just, just, you know, the, the idea. And I, and I, and, and, and as a man who came up as a man who came up through hip hop, as a man who came up understanding sampling SP 1200, MPC, the, 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 the 808, the 909, as a man who came up understanding those things, I was personally offended by anyone who, wasn't paying their for their samples because you know what they made rappers pay for everything they made anyone making a hip-hop record pay for everything you didn't get away with nothing and 
when <laughs> I wish I'd kept one of my royalty checks from back in the day, it would have been laughable to look at. It would have been laughable. I felt like by the time I'd finished reading it, like I owed them, like I owed them money. You know, it was well, insane. Because in those days they kept running a, a running tab. It was a tab. It was a tab, bruv. It was a tab. And um, hilariously funny. Hilariously funny. and But not funny at the time, obviously. Uh, but the situation with people like, you know, that band, Black Box or whoever, I, I felt personally offended as a, you know, as a, as a, as a hip hop producer, as a house producer, I felt personally offended that who do you think you are to not have to pay the money I've paid? That was Daniel Davily. I remember who, when he did it. Italians thought that they didn't have to pay anybody back then. Once again, once again, we're in the archaic time of people seeing samples becoming huge. For another example, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Same They used the Holloway, right? They didn't want to pay nothing. Nothing. No, they didn't want to pay. I mean, it's insane when you think about it. Um, You know, when you, I mean, if you were to, you know, look at, um, uh, it's an amazing tune that Todd Terry put out, I think in 90, Three, I, I, I don't. I could get the year wrong, but let me tell you something, Todd Terry's. Let me tell you something. And um, again, you know, um, the use of the vocal, but the use of the vocal, you don't hear a peep out of uh, out of out of the camp of that singer about needing to get their money from Todd, because he's coming from a hip hop background where he's expecting to pay for a sample. You know, so so I took personal, like personally, I took offense to 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 that to that uh, you know that sort of thing, um, but it is it, it was what it was, and we got through it, and now we have these incredible uh, clauses in place to make everything cool. And honestly, you know, sampling is a business now. It's like it, it's encouraged, and it's so cool to go up on Splice or Loop Cloud and grab. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Reason why. Tell the reason why it's so complimentary. Yeah, it was great. Everybody, do you know yeah. where everybody, everybody wants you to sample? Let me tell you all why. People who are not in the music industry, it's so simple. The same people that were against paying went out and bought everybody's catalogs <laughs> <laughs> so they could control everything now. So they said, why pay for the milk? We'll buy the cattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? We don't got to pay for the milk anymore. So they open up their checkbooks. They put out Salso, West End. uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I mean, the list goes on. They own everything now. It's mad. It's mad. But, you know, there's there's something really cool about about controlled sampling for, um, you know, a subscription fee. There's something really, really cool about it. Number one, I think it promotes creativity, even though to a certain degree it does also kill it, but it does promote it. Um, And I think we should have had that a long time ago. Like, you know, okay, you pay this much per month and you can sample anything within this situation that we give give you access to, you know. 
Um, and that's, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a cool situation. A cool well, because now you have corporate owning it, but back then it was a lot of mom and pop guys owning these catalogs and that's okay. all they made their money on was on the publishing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, Hey, I don't blame them for getting angry at all of everybody that sampled their stuff because, you know, at the end of the day, it was a bread and milk business, basically. You put yeah, records yeah. out and you made a living and yeah. you're on to your next record. If one of them crosses over, wonderful. If it doesn't, on to the next. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, uh, I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, Madonna did a tune many years ago called Justify My Love and she used a public enemy beat um in that tune um and uh i think it might have been from the nation of millions album and yeah again it was assumed that she could use it and not pay for it which i found really strange because on what planet do you can you use someone else's creativity and not pay for it so so certain people or certain production crews or certain management crews were trying it. They were trying it on. They were trying it on. Um, but I think, mo you know, m most of us, um, those problems will never happen again. They'll never happen again. Um, and, uh, you know, now, now there are new problems. So here's to the new problems. Yeah, like social media. And music has become the catalyst to your social media and music second to, to your social media. And we just keep going on to on and on and on. I know it's mad. It's just the way it rolls. Do you in your career of the, of, from that point of, we're going to say it's 33 years, yeah, 34 years. Do you, are you forced or do you decide to take a break and step back out of this? and you know reset and rejuvenate and come back is there any of those things that happened yeah yeah i've had to um take breaks uh you know in some cases for you know a couple of years or, or whatever i've had to take breaks because um i i i feel like there's a burnout threshold for you know for all of us i think we all have we all have a burnout threshold that we need to keep tabs on um in my case, I was thrown into a very busy situation musically at a young age. So because I was a, you know, you know, a teenager going into my 20s, going into 21, 22, um, you know, loving every minute of it, but being so, um, you know, <clears throat> I remember um, coming, into, coming into the States, I was handed an itinerary, it was very thick, and I looked at the itinerary, and uh, every now and again, I would see the, I would see the, the, the um, you know, the letters TB, TB, TB. So I, I finally asked someone, what's TB? I said, oh, yeah, toilet breaks. So we're going to, we're going to train you to use the toilet at these times because there's no time for you to use the toilet when you've got six interviews back to back or you've got to do two radio shows and then you've got to do a photo shoot. Or you got so you know that was like wow you know um this is no longer funny or cool or creative this is just annoying and those sort of things 
You, you have a couple of years of that. You, 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 you kind of, you need, you need to step back from that and, and do a few things. You need to, you need to remind yourself that you are actually in love with the music industry and that you're in love with music because you, at the, at the time you're not feeling like you love it because it's not loving you. Right. Um, and, and also, you know, you have to, um, you have to get back in touch with the people who ground you, the family and the, the bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, I personally need breaks. Some people can, can go on and on and on, but I personally need breaks. Um, I like music industry people who don't take calls after six o'clock. I like music industry people who can, uh, to them, the weekend is sacred and that's their family time. And you can't, you can't get hold of them for love or money. And I like that. Because that, that, that shows me a very balanced human being, someone who's going to be okay for a long time uh, because they, 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 they've prioritized what's important and, and what isn't. So, so um, not so easy for creative people who don't really switch off ever, but you have to. You have to, right? You have to switch off. You know, four or five girlfriends down the line when they've, when they've all said, oh my God, man. <laughs> I can't do this. You just got to go, you know what? This ain't you work. The, you kind of get the, you start to learn the pattern is something that's, you're doing something wrong, but we don't. <laughs> we have yeah. the egotistical side to all the saying, no, we can handle it. We can do it, baby. We can do everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's messed up. Yes, it's, you really can't. No. You can't no. have everything. You can't, you know, there's a song that says you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's so damn true. It's true. It's true. You know, and, and, uh, in this industry, you do need to take breaks. So you either taking those breaks in my case, I'll work flat out and then I'll take a break for quite a while. Or you, you need to be taking those breaks like on a weekly basis or something, you know, but, but one way or another, you need to vent, you need to let some steam out because, uh, otherwise you're just going to burn out, but it's still fun, man. Well, it's still- this is where it brings us now to the present because you gave us the historical part of Eric Martin. And you've also given us the part that the roller, you know, as we call it, riding that cyclone. You know, in one moment you're up, you're down, you come yeah. back up, you yeah. come back down. So now we're at a point now, you come back into this today. Yeah. The vinyl market is done. Yeah. The physical markets of CDs are done. Yeah. How do you get your head around the fact that streaming is the forum that you're going to be working in and the numbers that you were used to dealing with and the success that you, the money, the kind of money you made just doesn't equal to today's work habit. You got to put a lot of work in to make money now. Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How do you deal with, you know, yeah, dealing with well, old school? You know, this is new school. I mean, I never came into the industry um, as a as an as a sort of entrepreneur. I came into the industry as a creative person. So I, it was never about money for me. It was about expression from the very beginning, and that helps. Um, the biggest uh, culture shock, the biggest culture shock for me, um, in terms of the difference has to be the fact that we're now living in a in in at a time of post-release marketing 
as opposed to pre-release marketing. That's the biggest difference. You know, the, the, the sort of the 12-week lead-up, marketing lead-up is dead. And now we have this, you know, situation where Spotify is not even giving you access to a link until about four days before you put something out. So, so what, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? You know, how, do I, how do I even pitch a track to, 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 to someone without having marketed it first? How do I pitch it? You know, where's my press? Where's my, you know, where are my DJ quotes? Where, 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 you know, where's all, where, where's all the tastemaker stuff? How can I do it? And, and, and that's the juggling act. You know, that's the juggling act. And having um, sort of wrestled with that, uh, with a couple of releases, I'm now at peace with it. But it was a culture shock. You know, I'm not even going to lie. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure this, is, this, this would be true of, of anyone, um, uh, you know, that had sort of taken time off and come back and uh, had to, you know, been having to deal with, with this stuff. Um, there are some people who have ridden right through all those things, right? There are people who've ridden, and there were some things I rode through. I came into the industry, uh, two years after MIDI, right? <laughs> I came into the industry two when I first went to a studio, MIDI was new. Okay. Before that, so, we used to have something called CSV. CVTO gate, CVTO right. gate. So one keyboard you play with yeah. control on the keyboard. He's talking about, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. He's talking about MIDI, musical instrument, digital <laughs> interface. Trust me, trust me. That was me. created in 1900. Wait, wait, Eric. That was created in the God's year of 1986. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm telling you straight, right? This is what he just said. He came in two years after was created. Trust me. So, you know, when when you're talking about like... Fresh there, right there. It was 86? Yeah, because, you know... If it's 86, I came in the year of MIDI. Well, then, yeah, you're just about the year because before... Yeah, I came in the year of me. I thought it was two years old. Okay, I came in the year of Yeah, the DX7 was like the first one that was minified. MIDI was new. MIDI was Yamaha, new. Look at everybody. I may be wrong, but it was 1900, the God's year of 1986. I remember. Right, right. Okay. So, so basically, um, you know, people talk about, you know, yeah, you know, 20, 24 tracks studio, you know, people always forget it wasn't 24 tracks, right? It was 23 because you needed simply code on one. Of them. So, so in, in, in those, in those ways, I think, you know, you go through the period of, you know, we've seen the vinyl thing fizzle. We saw the CD thing come. We saw that fizzle. We saw downloads come and kill CDs. And then we saw streaming come. But right through all of that, there was this revolutionary change where uh, independent musicianship came into its own because you needed, when downloads happened, you needed to be able to make some money now because people weren't buying albums anymore. They were, they were picking tunes and stuff and, and everything was dwindling. So how do we make money? And then you got the likes of Live Nation coming in and going, yay, we're going to do some stuff. We're going to do a couple of deals here with some of the with some of the artists who could pull a crowd really easily. And then, you know, the internet caught up with that. And, uh, you know, all of those things I've, I've ridden through. I've ridden through all of those things. I've promoted my own gigs. I've, I've pulled in other DJs. I've become a promoter. I've done all of that. But what I didn't do was 
I didn't mess with streaming for a while. And that did, that did slap me in the face when I, when I had to deal with the post, the post release marketing that, that was a, a curveball, but I liked it because I like challenges. So the thing is, everybody, you know, to some that's never did any promotion on a record, you used to work in conjunction to put a record into everyone's hands to build a storyline. What happened was technology came and streaming began. And the streaming companies like Spotify, for example, I'm not going to say TrackSource. Spotify says, before you release the record, we want to have exclusive and we want a story. A pitch. Advanced music to pitch a story, you have to have key people that we call tastemakers that would play a record. And that would set the tone if the record was going to start to become a record that everyone was going to look for. Yeah. With the hopes of it crossing into your radio format. But with Spotify changing the game and us who were originally dinosaurs of the game, it's kind of difficult to say, well, wait a minute, what came first, the egg or the chicken or the chicken or the egg? 100%. So that's pretty much what happened there. Spotify says, no, it was the chicken. (laughs) And we all went. Spotify says, pitch, pitch something to us. Tell us what's amazing about Tell it. Tell us like, well, his, his well, I, I don't have access to it, bro. Eric, give us an example. What the hell did you pitch for a record? What would you say? Um, well, I, I mean, okay. So, uh, the, well, okay. So my last track that I pitched, um, which, which, you know, the pitch went quite well, you know, we got playlisted and everything on Spotify, whatever. Um, and that was, I guess, um, I did a little bit of press beforehand just to kind of make, make uh, people aware of, uh, of the fact that I was about to release something, but that press did not come out until after the release. But what I did do was I picked a really good collab. Um, you know, I collaborated with, uh, with Akil, the MC of Jurassic five, which is, you know, a perfect thing to do if you're making a hip house record. Um, and, uh, you know, to go to an old school hip hop, uh, MC is the best thing to do if you're going to do a hip house record. So, um, I guess that was a part of the pitch and Jurassic five's presence on Spotify and stuff. So I was kind of, I put all of that together with, you know, um, I put all of that together with sort of what I'd done in the past and, uh, I, I pitched it, and, it and, and and that was that. But honestly, it's Russian roulette, man. It's Russian roulette, and you can't be relying on um, any playlists. You can't be relying on any playlists. You've just got to have a hot tune, man, and 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 try and put it out there, cast the net as far as you possibly can, and you can have a great situation and a whack tune, and not and, and not have a hit either as well. So, you know. Um, it's, it's really just about, it's really just about the tune being good because it's well orchestrated. I think so. 
Well, it's back to basics then, basically. It's got to be a good tune to, to, sit, to, to get through. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think I think that's it. I mean, it helps. It helps if you've got. It helps if you've got. Um, you know, some some weight, some pull. But one of the things I like about Spotify is that Spotify does not officially bend to influence. Right? It doesn't officially bend to influence. You can't say to Spotify, if you don't if you don't playlist this record, I'm not giving you my next record. Because they've got too many. They've got too many big tunes. They've got too many big artists. They're not going to care. I mean, no, you can't... Oh, whatever. Keep it moving. Yeah. Just keep going. You know, you just got to be... Look, it's, it's good. I think, in, in a way, it brings everything back to the beginning. If I'm honest. You are being honest. I love this interview. It's a wonderful inside interview to someone that has seen the changes of the seasons. And, okay. you know... And to be cheerful to watch the ch- change of the season. To- oh, listen, man, I haven't felt this old in years. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I love it, man. I love it. Well, this it's is good. why the called True House Stories, everybody. We want to make sure we get out the full story. And we're pretty much at that point where, you know, we're coming to the end of your story, which is, you know, you went out. We saw you DJing all summer. Yeah. Back in it, full yeah. power. Yep, yep. Where it's are we fun. going from here, brother? Where's Where's this journey taking you? Where do you see yourself going? Well, honestly, projections. Honestly, from my, my my immediate goal is to just put records out, man. I'm just putting out a few tunes with as many people as I possibly can, um, and uh, you know, for me, it's just experiment and 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 stay in the game. You know, I'm not, you know, I've never felt owed anything. I've never felt entitled to, you know, to to anything in particular. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful that anyone would, would still dig what I'm doing. Um, cause to be honest, when I, when I make something, when we make something, we have no idea. I mean, we can guess, but we don't know how it's going to get received. So it's nice uh, to put tunes out and, and the next few months I'm going to be putting out tunes. People are going to get, people are going to think, man, this guy, what, you know, I'm going to be putting out tunes like it's going out of fashion, mate. So, uh, that's what's up. That's that what's threat up. threat is real, people. That's a threat, man. He's coming with swords and knives. Yeah. Cut, cut yeah. your music, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, this is, I mean, you, you know, you, is this all on your own label or are you are you going outside to external labels and stuff? Are you working with others? No, I'm 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 everything I'm doing everything on my own label um uh over the next six months it'll all be my label. I mean you know, I might I might do like the odd remix of stuff for other labels, but I'm not really thinking of of moving away anywhere because I need to establish my label. And I'm only and I'm only going to do that if I'm if I'm if I'm orchestrating, putting records out, and picking the right collabos, you know. So it's about it's about people at TrackSource, Beatport, and you know wherever else, Spotify, wherever. It's about them seeing the name of my label and saying, okay, it's synonymous with quality. I get it. We get it. We see it. It's yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that's that's where it's at. That's that's what's up. That's what's up. A question, brother. Yeah. Your your ex, 
you guys ever thought about doing a new Technotronic or something? Like, has that ever came up? Like, yeah, we 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 have. I've got something that I'm going to send you later because I need you to do a remix on it. <laughs> Wait, wait, that wasn't pre preempted. I was just asking because we. No, just- I, I actually, I actually, I actually started telling you this before we. And I said, hold it till later, because I, yeah. I we gotta we gotta I gotta get in my Wizard of Oz. Everybody remember I, I handle the curtains, yeah, yeah, yeah all yeah. the levers and everything. So I said, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys actually did do a new tune. She's back in the in the swing of things again. Yeah, man. Yeah, she we got some we got some 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 stuff. It's hot, man. Back to work it, brother. Yeah, work. And it's and it's unmistakably her, you know, it's unmistakable. It's again the vote the vocal is just insane. So Yo, check out his label, Musicated records yeah musicated that's me musicated records yeah man that's it we i mean you know it's fresh it's fresh you know just released our first tune recently but um you know it's uh it's some really cool things coming so yeah definitely keep uh, keep your eyes out for it oh my god my eyes are wide open baby yeah man yeah, yeah. i know i know you come with threats and those kinds of threats are the threats we like it's about find, it's about finding like-minded people who want to put records out. It's as simple as that, you know. Without the bullshit, just you know, let's oh, let's get down to business, baby. Leave it all, leave all that nonsense out the door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's payday. I mean, there's paydays where you do your little remixes and you, you know, you maybe you put eighty percent of your soul into it or whatever. But you know, when you when you want to really really stretch yourself creatively and do something that. You you can put your name next to then you know. Let's talk. It's as simple as that because I'm only interested now at my age. I'm only interested in 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 doing my best when I put tunes out. No half assing. Dot com. <laughs> no half assing. Dot com. Trust me. No sidestepping. Dot com. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, com. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I have really, really enjoyed this conversation because, like, you know, with me and other people like me, um, you know, from certain sort of social conditions, uh, you know, we have a demeanor which is, and let you know, to the un, uninitiated, can come across quite uh, forceful or quite, you know, you know, big or alpha. And and it's really nice to 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 um to you know be able to open up and speak to someone who is you know just on a level. And uh, let me explain to everybody something that's really that's is is rolling around in my head right now. Don't don't get it twisted, everybody. We do get jaded. Straight, straight. We do get jaded. Yep. This is the real. This is the real me now. As much as I'm always smiling and happy, let me tell you something. I've been in meetings where I told them to go after themselves. Oh, well, letting you what? Yeah. Trust me. Certain deals, I told them where to put it. Yeah. I'm yeah. still here today to talk about it. And I've talked to some other people off camera how with certain arm muscle was put in my face that we had to deal with in the funny days of the old days before social media. You couldn't get away with that now. Where certain goons would come to you and say, you got to make this happen. It's just the way the game rolls. It's an ugly business, but at the same time, as much as it's ugly, 
it still has a lot of beauty. It's amazing. It really is. It really is amazing. And it's evolving very, very nicely. And it's increasingly easier to get involved in. Um, you know, again, that's, I have a, I have a love hate relationship with, with the present. Um, but there are more good things than bad things. The, the only thing that really jars me, right. And I guess this is a good, this is, you know, as good a thing as any to, to sort of leave on is when musicians get online to sell something and they say the words, you don't need to know music theory. You don't need to be a musician. You don't need, and it's like, wait, hold on. We need the next generation of musicians to be knowledgeable. I don't want to be living in a world where you can make a track as easy as you can play a video game. The expression involved and the thought that needs to go into making a tune good needs to survive. And it, and it's, and, and, it, and it won't survive. But wait a minute, Eric, wait, wait, wait. Let's say the QVC commercial correctly. Okay. You don't need to know how to touch the computer. But remember, buy my shit so that I can teach you in four easy steps how to play the g- 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 guitar. Yeah, that needs I'll to watch go. That show. I watched that I mean, like this. That needs to go, man. That needs, that needs to go. Oh, the other guy that used to say, I'll teach you how to yeah. flip houses. Then you go look at the guy's track record. And it's like, Whoa. He made more money selling the book. Yeah. Did he ever bought a house or sold it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. I think I posted. So I, it's so I, posted I posted something like this a few months back. It's there was something. a guy called Carlton Sheets in America. He used to have this commercial late night, right. and that's the time when people call to buy stuff. They're home alone. They're not feeling good about themselves, and this guy comes on his yacht, and he says, "I can make you have this." If you do this, and how many people I've met over the years that told me they bought that book, and the first question I would be is, "Did you make any money?" Yeah, he said I didn't make shit. Didn't shit. Yeah, didn't <laughs> shit. Listen, nobody, nobody good at something has the time to tell other people to be good at something. When you're when you're in the in the, in the thick of it, and you're making a shitload of money. You don't have the time to be online a few hours a day telling people how to make a shitload of money. You know, you might do maybe a seminar. You might turn up somewhere and do a one-off thing, but you ain't got the daily time to be doing that. That's, that's, the, basic, that's the basic rule. If someone is online every day trying to tell you what to do, they don't know what they're doing. That's a good place to leave this. Eric Martin, you are a master of the game man still learning always a student brother hey everybody who's a sensei will say to every great sensei a sensei will always be learning until he can no longer learn which means he's underground for real for real and a good day is another day above ground baby and you've actually proven that too you've given us the now rogers theory you said today's a good day i'm here for you all 
It is. It is me. Send all your love and all your mail to Eric. Let Eric know what you all think. Let him know. He he needs to know. He needs to be reaffirmed that what he has given to the world, the world will never forget. As it was a big thing. He was part of a big cultural change. Don't ever get it twisted. He was part of a huge cultural change. Came off the summer of love. Right behind it, this all exploded right off the back end of that. And that's why we're here today having this wonderful chat and reminiscing and teaching and learning at the same time. And I will say thank you, Eric Martin. I've learned a lot from you on the game. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. We wish you all the best to the next endeavors of the next 10 to 20 years in front of you of what you can pull out of the of the rabbit hat. You know, there's still, you know, there's still championship rings still coming your way. I can feel it. <laughs> Let's see. You still got championship. You're still playing premier. You're still in the premier league. You're still playing it. Keep yeah. going. It's Keep all going. good. It's all good. You know? Um, yeah, no, big respect, man. And and thank you. Thank, thanks. Thanks for, for having me. And, um, you know, big up the house fraternity. Cause I mean, the house fraternity as well is the only one of its kind. It, it, it actually does. It is kind to, 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 to its elders as well, which is really cool. You know, I'm, I'm serious, man. Like, you know, hip hop doesn't treat the elders like that. You know, hip hop doesn't do it. You know? But wait a minute, brother. Let's not forget. I've said this over and over every week. The whole UK youth lived through our music. For real. That's it. Yeah. And those same UK youthful people that danced are the same people today with the expendable cash that want to relive that youth again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. why they love they, because they're at the same age as we all are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They love it as much as we did and they want to live it again and again and again. And it's good, and this is good. This is good now as it was then. So you know, and um, yeah, it's it's, it's children of the disco. This is a true house story, brought to you from the Technotronic, one of the founders. I'll clarify that again. One of the founders, who has a child with with the one that sang it all out. Let us hear that voice, and we are so proud to hear that you have a new record coming. And I can't wait to hear it. Who knows? Maybe I'll be able to do a magical remix that'll rock the world. <laughs> For sure. For sure, bro. Let me do this, everyone. Pedro Mondesir up from Canada is coming on. Rich story from the Toronto area. I'm bringing on some club promoters and DJs from different parts of the world. And next week we have Pedro Mondesir, Garage 416 in the house. This boy has brought everybody up to Toronto to DJ, and he's got a huge story, and we're going to get that too. And once again, Eric Matthews, peace, love, unity. House music is definitely the way forward, and all we can expect is good things for you, and thank you again for gracing your presence with us right here on True House Stories. Oh, we're going to ask you right now. We need a DJ mix for the True House Stories Takeover Radio Show. We'd love to get a one-hour DJ mix from you. Can you please provide that? All good, man. All 35 good. stations, we simulcast, and more coming on every day. No, so no the, show, the show must go on. We will be here next week. So same bat time, same bat channel. Once again, Mr. Barton, two hours 
of historical, historical house. Wonderful story. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, good night. Eric, don't leave us. And we'll see you all next week. Take care, everyone. Avita Zen and Tata for now.